Welcome to the Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we find out how people organize information to get things done. I am your host, Jorge Arango. My guest today is Udaya Kumar Padmanabha. UKP, as he is known to his friends and family, is a global strategic design director at Designit, an international strategic design consultancy. He is based in Bangalore, and in this conversation we talk about the challenges and opportunities inherent in designing information systems for the Indian market. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Udaya, welcome to the show. Hey, Jorge. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to have you on the show with us. For folks who might not know you, can you please introduce yourself? Okay. So my name is Dayakumar Padmanabhan, very long name, but friends and family call me UKP. I've been a practicing designer for 25 years. In that bargain, I was part and parcel of many, many successful acquisitions, built and sold a couple of my own companies. And design is the only thing I've been doing for a living. And I started way back with, with very, very rudimentary stuff like visual design, graphic design and all of that. And then went up the design ocean, got to dabble with not all of the things, but most of the things of which uh, information architecture also is primary. When I started with IA, I didn't know I was doing IA, but yeah. So over a period of time, I think my canvas just went first, you know, breadth wise, and then it went deeper as needed. And that's what's made me what I am today. And yeah, I make a living out of it, so I can't complain. <laughs> I suspect that you and I are of a similar vintage, and I can, re- <laughs> I can relate to this uh, notion of doing IA without realizing that that's what it was. My impression is that you have worked most, if not all, of your career in India. Is that right? It's the other way around. Yeah. But now it's probably, yeah, it's more of India, but yeah, I've been, you know, I started off outside of India. I keep joking that, you know, probably I've not worked in the polls, but yeah, I have, I've worked across the globe, but India's home base. And now, uh, yeah, now I'm back in India. And you've said that you've practiced design most of your career. Is that what you studied? What's your educational background? Yeah, you'll be surprised. I'm a quant. I did a triple major in math, stats, and computer science. (laughs) <laughs> 20 years, even 20 years, actually to the dot before time made it the person of the year. So I keep kidding that, you know, I had the premonition that 20 years down the line, this is going to be hot so much so that I actually specialized that during my university days. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a quant by Akats. How do you come from being a quant to being a designer? What I'm going to say might sound very, very, you know, stereotypical, but yeah, there are a lot of designers that I keep meeting who have the same story, right? Act one, scene one is basically, they somehow figured out that they were very creative from their formative years. They spent a lot of time, had supportive parents, and, and of course they had curiosity. I think the same, the same spin is mine as well. I was good at painting, sketching, drawing, and all of that stuff. And then my parents always supported all my whims and fancies where I come from you know, getting access to computing or computers and all of that. I mean, now the things have changed, but my generation, probably when I was a teen, that was like probably one in 10,000 or one in probably 100,000 households. But I was lucky to get exposed to all of this, started dabbling with MS Paint and then started, you know, working on Adobe Photoshop LE limited edition on a monochrome monitor. And I think the rest is history. I figured out that If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to spend the rest of my life becoming yet another software engineer from India. I mean, I was very good at software engineering as well, but that's not 
it, it never came across as something fascinating. I just did it. I got good grades. India, you know how in, in India is, right? Academics is very, very important and parents and society basically lays a lot of uh, emphasis on that. So I think I kept that side of the bargain. No complaints. I did really well. But I didn't know that I, I would want to be a designer. All I knew was I want to do creative stuff. So, you know, I think <laughs> from a very early age, that thing was always was like a brain tattoo. And I think things just interlocked and clicked in place. The way that I think about the technical aspect of our work, particularly software, is that it is the material that we work with, much like steel and wood and bricks are the materials that building architects work with. And my expectation would be that having a background in computer science would give you a particular take on the materials that we're working with in things like interaction design. Does that resonate in any way? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I actually have a label that I've been probably using uh, for like probably 20, 20 years, if not more. I, I, I have a construct called digital clay because software to me is digital clay. I like clay as a medium. <laughs> so I always say that, you know, think of software as, you know, exactly clay, but it's digital. You can shape and craft and, you know, construct products and services and ecosystems. And, you know, it, you, you can even build societies at scale. So yes, it helps. Computer science for me personally helped in, in terms of, I wouldn't say empathizing, but because I come from that world, I know the checks and balances and the guardrails and the, you know, boundary conditions of what technology can do. And at the same time, that has helped me actually not go overboard. From a very early age, uh, you know, I was told, don't aim for perfection, but aim for optimization. I, I didn't know that there was a thing called systems thinking back then. But I think I was, you know, I was nurtured, I was mentored. So I followed certain guiding principles in everything that I do. Computer science definitely helped. Numbers definitely helped. Stats definitely helped me in becoming the researcher that I've always been. I've been part and parcel of some fantabulous you know research practices sometimes people have offered you know offered me with open arms why don't you just move to just research you seem to be a natural and all of that but i think my training actually helped me discern a lot of things and yeah apply that on my professional journey so yes interesting question i think it helps it definitely helps when you move up the value chain and you're supposed to deliver products and services and experiences more so in today's day and age my current job yeah, I work with a top 10 strategic design firm and we are part of a eight and a half billion dollar behemoth. And we today go to the market and we don't say we are a technology behemoth. The entire world knows it. We generally say we do anything at scale and, and the difference between us and probably the rest of them is that everything that we do is design-led. So when you own delivery, when you do a lot of interesting stuff, you have to be very, very cognizant to the viability, the feasibility and all of that, right? So I think it was a natural progression for me and I developed those muscles and every single project, it helps me to assess scale, scope. What can we do now? What can we not do now? What can we park? And, and that skill in the room actually helps your colleagues, your partners, your prospective clients and actually your clients because you could sit with them and actually have a meaningful conversation and actually you know help them to make decisions, influence decisions that are for the greater good. So a mix and match of acquired knowledge, basically most of them become tacit, though you learn things from academia. If you don't apply it for long, it becomes trusted. So I think for me, somehow I, I developed this tacit knowledge and it comes to help. I want to dig into something you mentioned there 
two things. One is this distinction between optimization and perfection. What I'm reading by that is that if you aim for perfection, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're hitting on the optimal approach. And the other thing is the idea that the work that you're doing now aims for scale. And the reason that those caught my attention is that you're working in a context that I understand to be, well, first of all, India is one of the world's most populous countries. And it's also incredibly diverse. And I was hoping that we talk about what it's like to do design work and more particularly information architecture work for a market as diverse as the Indian market and doing it at scale. Awesome question. Let me spend the next one or two minutes to give India on a page. I hope I'll do justice. You know, probably this will be the shortest definition of India <laughs> that, you know, once people hear about it, they'll have a fair understanding and it will basically deconstruct a lot of confusion that people might have had about India. I mean, India is known for software. India is known for brain power. India is known as a you know country with rich cultural history and heritage that transcends 5,000 years. And, and, and the anecdote is it has been 5,000 years uh, from the last century. The number doesn't seem to be moving to 5,001, 5,002 or 5,000, right? Just kidding. Like you said, we are the second most populous country on the planet as we speak. And we are projected to become the most populous country on the planet probably in a couple of decades or lesser. Coming to the information architecture side of things, we are a country with 1.3 billion people and we speak about 19,500 dialects that are actually registered. Yeah, that's too much to crunch, too much to handle. So we have something called scheduled languages, which means they are kind of official languages, if you, for want of a better word. So those are 22 scheduled languages and there are officially 121 recognized mother tongues. So, for example, if you go to Spain, you know, more or less, it's a given that Spanish is their mother tongue. And if you go to France, it's French. That's the beauty of other countries. But the diversity <laughs> and the exponential beauty in, in, in my country is basically we have 125 different mother tongues that are officially recognized. Now, the next part. So, we have the second largest English-speaking population on the planet. That's about 125 million plus and counting. Apart from that, we have 615 million and counting speakers of Hindi, which is misconstrued as the official language of India, but it's the most widely spoken language in India and elsewhere. 615 million is like more than half of our population. But most of the services and products and platforms, more so in a digital world today, are English. So we have a lot of languages and we have a lot of people who are digitally equipped today. We have probably the second largest or maybe the largest mobile phone population in the world as well. So access to content, access to product and services is a checkbox that's already been ticked. But is it disseminating and assimilating uh, and, and you know, enabling people to assimilate information and context and you know, transact? Uh, that's a big bummer. So there's a significant thrust on that plane specifically that, okay, the English world is taken care of. Probably some other European languages world is uh, taken care of, but India, like I keep saying, you know, is like every 200 kilometers, you know, we are a mini country in ourselves. People mistake, you know, localization to, you know, best user experiences. Technology helps you, you know, convert an English into a Hindi or a Hindi into something else. But 
a lot of context gets lost in that i keep joking it's like your subtitles uh, on you know any of the netflixes or amazon primes that you see so if you really observe at least 50% of those translations are hilarious so much so sometimes you can just watch that and you know laugh so there is a lot of opportunity you you have simple math you have about a billion prospective consumers not necessarily customers for anything digital hungry and english doesn't cut it out so the strategic design agency that we are while yes we do a lot of projects 99% of our projects are projects we are for profit we do a lot of non profit stuff but we also do a lot of speculative activities across the 17 studios globally so amazingly in india about a year back we started working on some studio initiatives to figure out what are the areas of intervention from a speculative design standpoint we came up with all of these numbers and said india is definitely shining you know decade to decade comparison this decade has been significantly better off than the last one and and the projections are we will probably be the number one gdp in the world and and we we, we step back and said hey this is as is right we still have probably 615 million people who speak hindi and probably not all of them know english and amongst that crowd you can do you know magic of math even if you take a 10% population if these are small and medium sized and you know entrepreneurs that is a tremendous amount of it's like a notion of opportunities right and then we spoke about inclusion india is good in banks india is great in banks you know in fact if you really look at the top 10 banks probably there will be two or three indian banks that will list there but there is a divide there is a divide between the haves and the have nots you know people in metro cities and tier 1 cities like mine we are all covered probably tier 2 cities are covered but beyond tier 2 and tier 3 things could be better so we basically started speculating on you know what is it that we need to do and we knew for a fact that the smb so it stands for small and mini businesses there is a micro also micro basically is you're an entrepreneur you're running some kind of business with probably 3 4 people tops so then we said we can't boil the ocean and we went ahead and conceptualized a mobile experience a multimodal experience but predominantly powered by voice inter- interface the hypothesis was can we actually bring in not only financial inclusion but can we also empower these people to basically not only conduct business but thrive in ways that are simple smart and gives them maximal reach and and financial inclusivity has been proven to actually not only give show an uptick in in the lifestyle but also makes a country healthy wealthy and happier and progressive right so there are a lot of extended value additions and we knew that this is a humongous one for a studio of 35 30 people to sit and solve probably in a, a year or two but yeah we did it we built a concept called paisa vasool so paisa vasool actually is hindi means bank for the buck that's the closest <laughs> you know english translation that i can think of and we basically prototyped an experience where you know a small and medium uh, you know entrepreneur with about four people on his payroll and payroll is just a label here i mean he has four people working for him he's a textile merchant you know he has a lot of ambitious plans to scale and all of that but because of the lack of inclusivity in digital properties he's a laggard he still goes to the banks he still talks to the manager he you know tries for loans extended loans and all of that so we recasted that into a story built a quick prototype he actually participated in a lot of uh, award submissions and it was very well received and currently as i speak we are at that point now we are thinking how do we take this how do we scale this and probably test it on the ground 
all our hypothesis on is there a market for this absolutely yes you know our formative uh, research you know we spoke to real people we spoke to representatives of small businesses and initially yes they were like okay these guys are technology guys maybe they are speaking something and you know when we show when we articulated uh, vision and mission and when we tested concepts when we asked them that how might we right should you have access to an application a mobile application you know that speaks to you and that gives you insights and information in a language and a natural context that you are familiar with 11 out of 10 times they were like wow you know so much so that you know the thing is when is this thing coming up so that you know i can access it so the concept has been validated but yeah we want to scale it beyond one or two use cases so banking definitely banking and inclusion is a big thing interestingly that actually intersects with a couple of government initiatives you know which is actually bound to support whatever we do but the government policies suggest that right it's like ideas are doesn't die you need to go and execute it and actually you know see it come to life and bring it to fruition so interestingly between 2016 and 2018 there was this massive push on making india self reliant in terms of manufacturing capabilities and everything basically economic and industrial growth so the government unveiled a program called you know make in india but make it for the world types it been reasonably successful early days though but it will scale so you know one of the most amazing things is this time the government got very serious got in all the experts from a diverse populace they had a committee and they came up with something called india so it's indea uh, uh, it's an india framework so basically ind ind is basically for india and es stands for enterprise architecture i think i can comfortably claim that i am one of those <laughs> you know morons who read all the 211 pages of a pdf document very interesting i can guarantee not many designers are even aware of such a thing that's being pushed by our central government it's a fantastic document that sets the vision and mission for what we need to do to become a truly digital country and a digital government i'm wondering about this speculative design project that you all worked on Hmm. it sounds like just from the title that it was primarily in hindi is that right yes primarily in hindi yeah and not to downplay it because you said it's what was it 615 million speakers so it's a huge market already yeah. just in in hindi but i'm wondering if that experience that you all designed was it accessible in in more than just hindi or was it only in that language oh, okay so the hypothesis that we tested is can a predominantly voice driven multimodal experience on a mobile device actually bring in interventions that makes you know the life of certain target personas that we were looking at better the hypothesis turned out to be absolutely true we picked hindi just for the exactly the same reasons that you spoke i just want to call out that the 615 million hindi speakers are not not everybody are in india a percentile of them are outside you know our expat community outside but a significant amount of people are in hindi and yeah hindi is a very common language in india so you know every second person that you speak you know meet up definitely is aware of hindi but the same things can be scaled across other languages that are non hindi as well so that would be one of the things that we want to test out as we move forward there are like at the bare minimum probably we'll look at the 22 scheduled languages that i spoke about or maybe we will test it out with more because it's it's a replicable model there is scale imbibed in that so basically you build once and you basically go and run specific sub projects 
because it's just not a translator service, right? The content writing also is UX. You need to figure out information architecture. You need to figure out the ontologies. And like I said, India, the diversity <laughs> that it brings, it's not like build once and translate it into 22 languages and do. And that is where the opportunity for someone who can do this at scale and the opportunity for people who actually can consume the effects of this and actually make a living out of it. Have you found any patterns that work particularly well? I mean, it sounds like 22 scheduled languages, that's, you know, even though it's obviously a much smaller list than the 19,500 that you mentioned earlier, it's still quite a long list. Are there any patterns that work especially well for doing this work? I mean, it just sounds, to me, it sounds overwhelming. So, so yeah. So one of the pattern, meta pattern for us was like, are we just thinking and are we hallucinating that this kind of a thing uh, is the right uh, intervention or solution to be tested out? And the answer turned out to be yes. Uh, patterns are people... Uh, okay, so the other amazing ironical uh, dichotomy is this. While I said that we only have about 125 million people who can speak English and three times that who speak Hindi, and that most of our products and services today are actually in English, some of them do have some other uh, you know, scheduled languages being translated. The amazing thing is using mobile interactions or digital user experience, if you will, ha has become an acquired behavior in India. Whether it is a literate 60-year-old, illiterate 30-year-old, or a five-year-old, across the segment, people get it. People expect certain behaviors with their digital interactions. So that basically told us that we don't need to go and figure out very unique UI, UX constructs, UI patterns or user experience ideas. And that was very, very soothing for us because people knew how to scroll, people knew how to tap, people knew all of that, and people expect a certain response from the system. The only challenge for us then to solve and focus upon is, okay, take Indian homegrown examples. I'll take an example of a direct business to consumer kind of a model for food delivery, right? It's called Swiggy. I mean, one of the largest, there are only two top players in India. One is Zomato and another one is Swiggy. So people know that, hey, I want to call in food. I tap, I select, you know, this findability, I choose, I place an order and voila, I get food delivered. Now, are they servicing? I think India has about 50,000 or six. I mean, I will be completely off, but I know it's a, it's a humongous number. I think we have 30, 40,000 different zip codes, pin codes. So are they serving all of these zip codes? Absolutely no. And these guys are, uh, Swiggy as a company, as a unicorn. I mean, it's valued at 7, 8 billion. Now, if you step back and look at it, they are valued at that. And simply by, you know, a function of serving to probably 10% of an Indian market or 20% tops. If they actually spread their tentacles across the hinterlands of India, just imagine the scale and the opportunity that it brings to the table. So the pattern, coming back to the pattern is, yes, People definitely would love to access something that they are very, very conversant with within their environs and language is very natural. The other thing that we figured out is converting into voice is an easy peasy one. But like I said, uh, 22 scheduled languages, 121 officially recognized mother tongues, but those basically become a permutation and combination of 19,500 dialects. That is a big one. Like you said, it's an overwhelming one, but I think there are ways and means to figure it. The challenge that we we might face is, can we actually have an app construct that actually can sense the dialect and start speaking to the person or the user in the dialect that he or she is? Theoretically, it's possible, but I think it may be a few more years where 
you know, your usual culprits, right? Machine language and AI needs to self-learn and come there. The other pattern is people expect a lot of services, whether it be B2B, B2C, or citizens to governments, or government to citizens and citizens to government also on the app. Gone are the days where uh, everything was uh, brick and mortar. People expect everything in their palms. So yes, it has to be a mobile first experience, definitely, because we have more uh, mobile devices than computing devices like laptops or tablets and all of that. You know, these three were the top three patterns that I can recall. I mean, the rest of them were like some anecdotes because yeah, anecdotes don't become patterns, right? So these three were some juicy propositions that we have actually identified and documented. But I'm sure as we get into, because we are just talking of one of the 22 scheduled languages. And I know for a fact, the minute we take a stab at the remaining 21, we will have other observations that might uh, intersect with existing patterns or maybe add to the pattern or, you know, modify a pattern. This is a huge, uh, probably this is one, you know, a, a project for a lifetime. <laughs> but yeah, let's see how it pans out. When you talked about the mm-hmm. initiative of the Indian government, the India Enterprise Architecture Initiative, you said that it had ease of use and multilingualism among its principles, right? And what I was wondering is how that manifests in the apps that people use. Because in my mind, when you say that there are 22 scheduled languages, like I imagine these locale switchers, right? Like we see in in websites and apps. I imagine this like long locale switcher, 22 is is quite a bit, right? And what that implies to me is (laughs) that the content in those systems needs to be managed in parallel if the app is going to support all 22 of those scheduled languages. Is that what it means? Absolutely. You're, you're spot on. And just so you know, I heard say that 22 scheduled languages itself is a lot, but simply because we have 29 states and seven union territories. Each of these states has an official language. <laughs> so just do the math. Actually, actually, it's surprising that 29 states have only 22 scheduled uh, languages, simply because some of the states simply have Hindi as their state language. Like where I come from, I come from a state called Karnataka and our state language is called Kannada. Right. And it's a fascinating uh, story. Right. So, yeah, I think 29 states and seven union territories, basically, there are 36 different local governments, state governments. This United States is made up of 50 states, including Hawaii. Right. So India is made up of 29 such states and seven union territories, which basically, you know, the number is about 36. So that is the kind of diversity that we bring in. But yeah. How would an organization go about managing that are are they just putting people on it like is it a matter of actually getting all that content translated or produced in all the languages and then how is it kept up to date yeah brilliant question so basically the tenets of india enterprise architecture is it's, it's like a nike uh, tagline just two types they basically say one government to citizens and businesses all their absolute vision and vision is right And basically, the focus is on first citizens, government to citizen, you know, uh, G2C is the world that they are looking at, basically citizen-centric services, so that they want to ensure that the country is run by a government that is digital and is completely inclusive and, you know, it it is citizen-centric. Some of the smaller countries like Singapore and the digital native uh, 
digitally mature countries have actually done it and and there is no reason why large countries like india cannot do it so i think that is one of the key objectives of a very critical ministry called the ministry of uh, electronics and information technology it has vacant uh, portfolio in the central cabinet right so what they are saying is you know this india architecture is available for all government bodies civic bodies and businesses also and basically the three things that i called out basically intersects with their core focus areas of you know basically i picked a half a dozen uh, core areas of impact and uh, delivery they're saying idea should enable india as a country and the business environment in india to actually come under the tenets of governance and regulation it should absolutely drive economic development it should give access to civic services 24/7 it should also enable social justice to people because there are a lot of misrepresented underrepresented classes of uh, people in india right that's definitely a burning issue here they also want environment and natural resources to be managed from a digital infrastructure that caught my uh, ears uh, simply because if you really look at it what they're saying is let's build this construct of a digital twin i mean we are a country blessed with amazing natural resources and environmental resources but yeah it gets misused and used uh, as with the rest of the world can you actually build a digital uh, mesh that actually helps you keep track of what's happening across probably your geography right and yeah so probably this this will take about 30 40 years but the seeds have been sown and they're very serious about it and, and the kind of people that they have uh, in, involved are not just bureaucrats these are people who come from the higher echelons of civil services there are cabinet level ministers and the who's who of the industry so coming to the business side of things that is where people like you and me most probably operate on for profit businesses and academia at best not many government projects come and they are far and few but i think sharing and reusability ease of use and multilingualism for me actually are like synonyms the challenges now there is a framework that they want to get and they have gone to the extent of fleshing out some eight models that are available for people to consume and actually apply they have created the boundary conditions and frameworks for the enterprise architecture right more often than not an enterprise framework is thrown out like a thought paper or a white paper and then people end up scratching their heads and what next so they have covered the what next also so they have like six eight models which are like it's called uh, the performance reference model business reference model application reference model data reference model tech reference model security integration and governance uh, reference models these clearly say what are government services how do we disintermediate these government uh, services from the classic print and paper world uh, to a digital world and how do we build this and also enable people to access and retrieve on it and get the result that they want that is where the challenge is because each of these areas that i'm talking about comes with a lot of common sense and recognition of objects and processes and materials and actions and, and a lot of other things from their lens it cannot be a spray and pray stuff maybe somebody in the northeast of india wants to access some government services you know their mental model of what to do and how to go about it may not be exactly the same as someone from down south where i come from i'm just giving a hypothetical example that would be the challenge and that is where i fundamentally believe that it's not just having an enterprise architecture but i think the ontology and the taxonomy part has to be fleshed out i am assuming or hoping that the government will definitely look at it because some of the guys who are sitting there are pretty smart people 
because if you don't have that guiding principle of how do you classify reclassify your, your taxonomies and ontologies and actually have a framework this this will fail because my my worry is it will simply mean that okay let's build it in english let's use one of this uh, preprocessors or smart uh, things that are available and convert them into these 22 scheduled languages and actually deploy that as services that people can actually consume so funnily enough a label that's probably a uh, one word and probably eight characters in english can turn out to be a uh, label in a native language uh, with you know probably you know two words or three words and probably you know 30 40 characters these have to be first emulated simulated and then you need to do it and in my mind the only way to do this is let's build the semantics let's build the taxonomy and ontologies first otherwise this is at best it will be hubris that sounds like a fantastic information architecture challenge and hearing you talk about the challenges of doing this sort of work in such a context just frankly opens my eyes to both the possibilities and the great challenges involved so thank you for sharing with us now for folks who might want to follow up with you what's the best place for them to look you up they can look me up at linkedin go through my profiles and all of that and feel free to connect with me linkedin is something that i check in very frequently yeah so my handle is ux first that's u for umbrella x for xerox f i r s t look me up on linkedin and you'll find me yeah well, thank you ukp for uh, sharing it with us hey thanks jorge for having me here and thank you for listening As always, you can find notes and a transcript for this episode at theinformed.life. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, please subscribe to my newsletter at theinformed.life/newsletter. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate or review it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other folks find it. Thanks.